2: we were hacking financial services and fintech mobile apps and APIs, which No Name was a sponsor of.
1: That's Alyssa Knight. She's a partner at Knight Incorporated and a security researcher. Also joining us this week is Carl Matson, CISO at No Name Security, who underwrote Alyssa Knight's research. The research we're discussing today is titled Scorched Earth, Hacking Bank APIs. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.
2: The way we work with our clients in this specific capacity is that we have full final cut rights as far as the content is concerned meaning that we can say whatever we want and our clients don't have any say as far as what we can and cannot say in that in that content um so they're, they they just sponsored the research
1: and so carl what is in it uh, for you what what uh, what's the decision making process here to underwrite something like this
0: We've seen research that Alyssa has put together um uh, throughout the years and particular the things that she's done with with healthcare and, and medical APIs. Um, we just saw this as a way to continue to to keep APIs on the radar of the security profession. APIs are are, are not commonly understood risk surface. Uh and so the any any opportunity to sort of illustrate and, and give give the community um a tangible Evidence and tangible insight into what API security is about and and what risk exposure is present, um, we're we're glad to sign up for.
1: Well, let's dig into the actual research here. Then, I mean, Alyssa, how did you how did you get your start? What uh, what kicked you off on this uh, investigative journey here?
2: Yeah, so um, yeah, this actually started back when I was an analyst uh, and wanting to create a different kind of white paper. And that was, you know, just you know, taking my 20 plus years of experience as a hacker, and combining that with my love to create content. And so I'm really doing a merge. I'm basically merging these two worlds and this dichotomy that I have as a hacker and as a content creator, and and producing content that I think really speaks volumes. To, to the people that's either reading it or watching it in the form of a film. And so, I, I've been doing this for about 21 years. And, you know, I originally was arrested as a hacker uh, when I was 17. Uh, went to go work for the U.S. intelligence community in cyber warfare shortly after that, once the charges were dropped. And uh, have been a white hat ever since. So, you know, this allows me to really break out of that bash shell, if you will, or that meterpreter prompt and really combine hacking with, you know, a form of of content marketing, which we're really disrupting.
1: Well, let's dig into the specifics of, of this particular case here. When you decided to come at these API keys in banking apps, where do you begin?
2: So the methodology that I follow is starting with the mobile app itself and doing what's called static code analysis. I use an open source framework called Mobile Security Framework, uh, or MobSF. And so originally start with downloading the Android app to my Android device, and then extracting it, ironically enough, with APK Extractor, which I install from the Google Play Store. And extract that mobile app off of the device, place it onto my analyst workstation, and then load it into MobSF, which actually takes the APK file and deconstructs it or decomposes it back to its source code. And it allows me to then comb that code looking for hard-coded keys and tokens, or in many cases, usernames and passwords, believe it or not. Even though it's 2021, developers are still doing this, hard-coding API keys and tokens. Carl, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this as well. And then taking that attack further to the API backend themselves. So once I do this, what's called static code analysis or dead code analysis, I then take it on to doing You know, dynamic analysis, uh, footprinting the API, and um, targeting the API based on just what's what I like to call "woman in the middle" attack, where I sit in between the mobile app and the backend API and analyze that traffic, analyze how the app is interacting with the API by clicking on each button in the app, um, or in you know, in 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 the case of a web form or web app. Uh, Just clicking every option, seeing what the stimulus and response is between the app and the backend, and then taking that stimulus and then putting it into an API client like Postman, or in, in the case of Burp Suite where I'm intercepting the traffic, replaying that traffic once I've intercepted it. And then checking the backend API for things like broken object level authorization or you know broken authentication vulnerabilities that allows me to request data that doesn't belong to me, which a lot of APIs that I've been testing um have been vulnerable to it's It's a systemic problem
1: well, let's dig into to the actual findings here because reading through them here they're they're pretty grim, yeah.
2: Yeah. So one of the banks that I, I worked with. So this the the target categories of apps were banks, neobanks, and cryptocurrency exchanges. And you know of the individual findings themselves. I would definitely urge people to go download the white paper uh, as well because it's got all the empirical data in it from the researchers beyond these numbers. But um, the bank apps, uh, there were 30 of those apps. 27 lacked obfuscation 30 were vulnerable to women in the middle attacks and 30 contain hard-coded api keys and tokens the neobank apps i tested 20 of those 17 lacked obfuscation 15 were vulnerable to women in the middle attacks and 17 contained hard-coded keys and tokens and the cryptocurrency exchanges there were 10 that lacked obfuscation out of the 11 i tested Ten were vulnerable to women in the middle, and seven contained hard code keys and tokens. So there's there's this a very clear and present danger across all these different app categories. And then one of the banks that I worked with, um, actually several of them, came to me and said, "Hey, Lisa, you know, we really dig this research. We're really into what you're doing. We would like you to test our backend APIs." And so in testing them, I actually was able to log in as myself and then request to change the pin code of any bank customer at the bank and move money in and out of accounts because of these what are called BOLA vulnerabilities or broken-level authorization vulnerabilities and uh, broken object-level authorization as well as broken authentication. So these problems are allowing me to basically perform transactions or change information that doesn't belong to me at the bank. And um, I guess the best way I can describe it for your audience is I'm authenticated, but I'm not authorized to perform the functions that I'm that I'm performing or perform the hmm. API requests I'm requesting.
1: Carl, you know my perception certainly has been that if anybody had their ducks in a row, it was the banks it was the financial services organizations because you know it's that old joke that's where the money is so so they my perception has, has been that you know they have the they have the resources to to uh, secure these things. This research points that perhaps that's not the case. I think as a, as a, as a broad generalization, Dave, that, that might be
0: fair to look at uh, financial services firms having you know, achieved, generally speaking, uh, higher levels of maturity because they oftentimes can invest a great deal in, in their security programs. Um, but a- API security is a little different in the respect that one of the things that Alyssa just mentioned was financial. Uh, Things like the use of third-party code or interrelationships with third parties, and API calls—whether it's a let's say it's a consumer using their mobile application to check their bank balance and move money—it usually is an interconnected network of first-party and third-party services that run behind that application. And so, you're introducing a type of complexity in securing a mobile application and banking that that is still relatively new surface for for bank or financial services organizations to undertake. And I think that we're seeing right now is we're seeing that sort of awakening. I know I have a high confidence level that this is, this is research that really continues that, that journey of awakening. And we'll probably, we'll see financial services firms moving perhaps a little faster than, than other verticals in terms of addressing this risk surface.
2: Yeah, and Dave, one thing I do want to add here is one of the findings is if if anyone who follows me in your audience knows, I've done this across different industries, taking remote control federal and state law enforcement vehicles through APIs hacking healthcare APIs and accessing millions of patient records because of these same vulnerabilities. They seem to be definitely endemic across all of these different sectors. And one of the things that I can say is is that, in my experience, a lot of these APIs are being protected with the wrong security control. And I think the, the mindset of the CISO is, APIs speak HTTP, so I'm going to fall back on what I've historically always known and that's to protect web servers with a web application firewall, and like for example, the one of the banks that I hacked, their APIs were being secured with a WAF. But the problem is, is that web application firewalls are legacy technology that are designed to look for th- like bad things in the payload, like SQL injection, and things that like. You know, looking for a SQL statement within the payload. But if you look at the type of a text that I'm performing, like I'm a legitimate authenticated user, but I'm I'm requesting data that doesn't belong to me. That's not something a WAF is designed to look for. It's designed to look for bad things in the you know in the payload and the header, whatever. But not exploitation of business logic. Right. So they're not designed to to look for things where, oh, this person is is either legitimately or illegitimately authenticated or they're requesting, you know, data that just some simply doesn't blame them. They're they're not designed to do that, which is why I'm a huge proponent of API threat management solutions. Not securing your APIs with an API gateway that's added security features. But actually protecting your APIs with something that's been built from the ground up, that's purpose built as an API security solution. Because it's designed to look for the very attacks that I'm using against these APIs such as, you know, Bola or broken authentication or mass assignment. You know, all of these things that WAFs just aren't going to see. Why do you
1: suppose we have this broad spectrum of problems in release versions of software? I mean, I'm left scratching my head with just looking down this list, you know, things like hard-coded API keys and tokens, you know, that to me, why why are these things not being caught along the line here before these things are put out to the public?
2: So I, I think, and this is what I think is really interesting about uh, today's show is that we have Carl as a defender, and you know, uh, on the defense side and me as a breaker on the adversarial side. So I think you're going to get very two different, you know, probably two different answers here. Um, but I can mm-hmm. tell you from my perspective, I think it's it's even still in 2021 we're, we're, we're still not learning from the mistakes that we made more than two decades ago. And that's, you know, shifting left security and shielding right. And I think in, in talking with some of the developers. A lot of the organizations that I've spoken to, they'll send their employee, they'll they'll have their employees do that annual security awareness training. Like this is what a spearfish looks like. This is this <laughs> is how you're going to be targeted with social engineering. That annual required training, but they're not sending their developers to secure code training. They're 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 doing the required you know entire employee body security training. But if they're writing code, their developers aren't being sent to secure code training. It's not like they want to write insecure code. It's not like they want to do this. I think it's just a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, and a lack of training. Um, But Carl, I, I definitely urge you to offer your input here.
1: Yeah, Carl? Yeah,
0: let, let me take let me take developers off the hook um, in, on, on two, in two scenarios for a second because uh, the things that I've run across so uh, number one an API that was developed uh, as a, as an internally facing only API eight years ago unbeknownst to the developer um, then becomes publicly exposed and that authentication is is inadequate for a public facing API so we do see those old APIs being exposed that shouldn't have been then the second scenario is where an API developer maybe hard codes of credential or, or, or SSH keys as part of a, their development effort because they're testing their APIs. Um, but as that API then graduates to subsequent cycles of release, it goes into release without having changed the sort of the development variables that should have been changed in production. So, an example that I come back to would be um, uh, I got on the network side when when uh, when we have s- install a new switch, let's say in the in the organization, we scan it to ensure that it's not using default admin passwords. Like that's like a standard scanning activity that you do on the network level with Tenable, Qualys, Rapid Seven, etc. We haven't yet pivoted to also scanning APIs as, a, as an endpoint asset and and whether its credentials are static, hard coded, or inadvisable for reasons. And that's where um, that's where a security team gets caught. Um, if we were allowing switches and routers and firewalls to all have admin admin as their login and password, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, and on the API side, that's kind of what we've allowed to happen is these static credentials have are, are not changed uh, when they move into production, or they're not uh, leveraging authentication in a you know, a responsible way. Um, and the security teams are sort of just discovering that now that this is another endpoint um, that we're we're key management and and credential management are kind of paramount to securing the asset.
2: Yeah, and Dave, I do want to expound on that here too as well. And in in the fact that not only was I finding hard coded API keys and tokens in the apps for that particular fintech or finserve that I was testing, but also the hard coded API keys and tokens for third parties as well, payment processors or, you know, in some cases AWS uh, workloads and S three buckets. So I mean it's 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 a real problem, and in the documentation from these third parties, it even says in many of the the sites that I went to to look at the documentation, Right there in plain sight. It's do not hard code this, you know, without obfuscating it, without applying any kind of white box or uh, obfuscation, white box encryption or uh, obfuscation, and they're doing it anyway. And so I think I don't know if it's it's you know, and and I hate to make it look like I'm picking on developers here, but I don't I don't know if it's just laziness or if it's you know, hey, we'll fix this later, and they never get to it. You know, mm-hmm. I I just I don't know, and I'm sure it's a different answer for every organization, but I mean like. you said, we're dealing with money here, you know? And then with with one of the banks that I tested, I removed the cookie. There was no OAuth 2 happening, so there was no tokens. I removed my cookie and it still allowed me to perform these attacks. I could still move money in and out of accounts. I could still change ATM debit PIN codes without authentication. So there was something obviously very broken about these APIs. And I think probably in, in, I don't know what, Carl's favorite part of the report is, but my favorite part of the report is the fact that one of these banks outsourced it to a third-party developer and rinsed and reused that same vulnerable code across 300 of its other clients. And so mm. these, these vulnerabilities were then basically copied and pasted to all of these other financial institutions who were using... That company to develop their APIs and mobile apps. And so it created this massive attack surface for me as an adversary, where this same vulnerability could be found in other financial services companies.
1: Carl, let me ask you this. So, for that CISO who's listening and is uh, scratching her head and saying, I don't know where I stand with this, we know our organization has APIs. Um, how do you begin this journey? How do you? How do you Level set for yourself to uh, basically to, to audit and find out where you stand.
0: Well, certainly, um, what's old is new again applies in API security. Uh, SANS CIS critical control number one is you know know your assets, and so I think the the diagnostic process of of where your posture is at um, has to begin with a with an accounting for the inventory, and, and from that inventory, then deriving. Levels of detail about that inventory, about what's public-facing, what's not, how the APIs are authenticating, whether there's misconfigurations and vulnerabilities present. Um, and I think APIs are, are um, there's a there's good news, and the good news is APIs are are, are not that difficult to find. Um, they're, they're, we can, what we can do uh, with an API is discover those APIs. They have they have the distinct advantage of being structured data. Uh, and structured data is 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 not um, is not impossible to find on the network, and so that's what we do uh, almost uniformly, regardless of where a company is starting from and when, when any customer we start with. Um, it all begins with a discovery and the creation of an inventory, and then from that inventory, deriving then the the characteristics so that we can paint the what I call the operating picture for the organization. Your operating picture of APIs that includes those third-party APIs that Alyssa's talking about, that includes the custom developed ones, that includes um, the the inner APIs that may be um, service-to-service workload calls that we might take for granted typically. Um, and that but that know thyself principle applies to APIs as it does to any security discipline.
2: Yeah and Dave, at the end of the day, you can't protect what you don't know you have and you know that's the ultimately what i think is the most important thing for any ciso and any organization is make sure that the api threat management solution that you have has the ability to create an asset catalog or an asset register of your apis Keeping them updated, the, the, there's a huge problem with shadow APIs, and you know, basically, organizations, the IT department deploying APIs into production that the cybersecurity team doesn't even know exists. That the cybersecurity team doesn't know to make part of their patch management strategy or vulnerability management strategy because they didn't even know the API was there. You know, so I mean, I, I think you know this shadow API problem is a real issue. Um, you know, you need to know your attacks, so just like the U.S. military knows exactly where its forward operating bases are, you know, knowing that they have to protect the, the, the base and the personnel in there. That's knowing what you've got in order to protect it. And the same principles need to be applied to protecting your APIs.
1: Our thanks to Alyssa Knight and Carl Matson for joining us. The research is titled Scorched Earth, hacking bank APIs we'll have a link in the show notes and now a word from our sponsor 6 cents The Cyberwire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Saby, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner.